Let me jump in. So this, this letter we know was written to Timothy. And when I think about Timothy, I feel like he's someone who I can really relate to in this season of my life. Uh, he was biracial, bicultural. So Timothy was, he had a Jewish mother and a Greek father. And so even the idea of that tension that Timothy may have felt um, of not fully reflecting either his ethnic, either of his ethnic identities um, and maybe never feeling a sense of belonging anywhere, right? His father was absent. He was not a typical disciple who came from a legacy of men of faith, but rather a legacy of women of faith. We learned last week that Paul talks about uh, the sincere faith of his mother Eunice and grandmother Lois. He was unassuming, maybe insecure. He had health issues. Did you guys know that? Timothy had health issues. There's actually, in 1 Timothy 5, um, Paul tells him to use a little wine for your stomach's sake. And actually, Timothy is the patron invoked against stomach and intestinal disorders. So, <laughs> IBS, yes, that's a real thing. But he had health, health issues. Enough that it would be mentioned in the word <laughs> that he would become a patron for it. In first. Timothy 4.12, Paul writes, do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, which implies that people were looking down on him. He was left to lead the church of Ephesus in a time where they were dealing with a lot of betrayal from leaders who were abandoning the teachings of the apostles and spreading a false gospel. And he was struggling, probably dealing with a lot of disappointment and despair. I just think about my own life right now as a woman, as a Latina. I think what I can relate the most to, all those things that I listed about Timothy, the thing that I relate the most to are the ways that those things marginalized Timothy. The way that those things um, created suspicion in him, where people were always judging, calling into question whether or not he belonged the parts of his identity and life that people use against him to disqualify him, to diminish his authority and leadership. And for me, that's something that I can relate to. And I think it's important for us to understand who Timothy was, what was happening in his context um, when we look at this passage. We have to understand that, who he was, what was going on. Last Tuesday, uh, Tuesday of this past week, I went to Walmart. I hate Walmart. <laughs> it's so stressful. Walmart is so stressful. It's like, I, I just get, even right now, I just feel anxious thinking about going to buy some milk or lotion at Walmart. Uh, but I went to Walmart because Walmart is close to my house and Target isn't as convenient. I would have been at Target, but that day I went to Walmart. And so I'm just going in there doing my thing, trying to hurry up and get everything that I needed and get up out of there as quickly as possible because I felt my blood pressure going up. 
and so, you know, I'm, I'm doing my thing, getting some allergy meds for my, my son, who's allergic to every single environmental pollutant that exists. And all of a sudden, I hear over the intercom, um, <laughs> I hear over the intercom, uh, security, please check camera footage in aisle 10. And I'm like, oh, snap, what's happening? Like, what's going on in aisle 10? Like, what are they seeing? What's going on? And the thing is, guys, you have to understand, right? Context always matters. And you have to understand, like, I'm, I'm hypersensitive. You know why? Because people get the, call, the, the cops called on them just sitting at Starbucks, right? People get helicopters and two or three cops called on them where they're just coming out of an Airbnb on vacation. You can't barbecue in the park without cops getting called on. You can't sleep in your dorm room, in your common area of your dorm room, without the cops getting called on you. So I'm hypersensitive. I'm just like, yo, what's, what's happening? What's gonna, you know, who's going to come? Because this is, obviously, there's some, some suspicious activity happening. So it's not just that people are, like, just sitting. Something's going on. And so I'm just wondering what's going to happen. Should I do something? Should I say something? Should I just quickly leave? You know, and, and so I'm just walking and just, you know, just, just nervous, anxious. And I get this nagging feeling in the pit of my stomach that I was the one in aisle 10. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, it wasn't me. No, no. And so I'm just, you know, getting my hair products, getting this and that, my lotion. And I just, I'm like, no, no, I wasn't, it wasn't me. That wasn't me in aisle 10. And I'm like trying to figure out, well, what aisle am I in right now, you know? And, and I can't see it. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, okay. And, and <laughs> so I'm just like, let me, let me go back to, to the medicine aisle and see what, what number that was. And sure enough, it was aisle 10. And I felt humiliated. I mean, it was announced over the intercom. Everybody was probably wondering, what is happening in aisle 10? Who is this suspect? What are they doing? And I'm trying to think, what did I do? And I remember grabbing the Zyzol <laughs> and just throwing it in my cart. And my purse is wide open, and I should know better. I should know better. My skin color doesn't allow me the luxury of just leaving uh, my, uh, my purse wide open. And I should have known better, but I didn't. And, and, and I just feel like a piece of my humanity was taken from me in that moment. And I'm wondering, is somebody going to come to me? Are they going to say something to me? What am I going to do? What if, am I being watched now? Because they have security uh, cameras in every aisle, and I'm like, are they watching me? Are they wondering what I'm doing? Are they looking at every step? And I'm just like, okay, you got to calm down, because if someone approaches you, you can't fall apart. Keep it together. You didn't do anything wrong. And I'm just, I'm, I'm tense, and I'm just scared out of my mind. And I realized in that moment, man, you know, I got this straight hair now. That didn't protect me. I just celebrated 15 years of marriage to my husband, faithfully. Nobody cared about that. I have been doing ministry for 16 years. That didn't matter. 
It didn't matter that I lead worship here almost every week. It didn't matter that I was preaching today. That didn't matter. All they saw was a suspect, a woman, Latina, maybe biracial. Maybe she speaks English. Maybe she doesn't. Who knows? Possibly unemployed, but definitely not someone trustworthy. Definitely not someone who's honest, a human being with inherent worth. And I just wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. And nothing happened. No one came up to me. No one said anything to me. And I remember checking out and having my receipt in my hand, just waiting, just waiting. And I'm like, Lord, what am I going to say? What do I do? This is going to be so embarrassing. And the truth is, guys, that experience however extreme it may be, represents the reality that many of us, people of color in particular, encounter on the daily. The microaggressions at work, at church, the grocery store, restaurants, school, even among family that leave you feeling like you're not enough or too much. Too loud, too emotional, too sensitive, too angry, too much attitude, or maybe you're just too quiet. Your accent is too thick. I can't understand you. Speak English. Or worse, the moments when you're seen or treated as a dangerous threat that has to be dealt with or even eliminated. And guys, it's not just words. It's not just actions from individuals, but it's systems. Laws, policies that have been created attempting to strip us of our dignity and humanity for hundreds of years. And then it's not just what we experience personally, but every time we hear about someone else's encounter with races and oppressive systems, it impacts us as well. And the truth is, all of that is on top of all the struggles the challenges, the disappointments, the betrayal that we experience as leaders, mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, employees. It is exhausting, to say the least. And it affects our emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual health. Many of us are tired we're tired of being silenced. We're tired of being invisible. We're tired of being ignored and overlooked, overworked, but never getting credit. Tired of having to suppress our emotions in order to be heard. Being held up to standards that don't fit us. Constantly having to defend and argue for our dignity and worth. And at times wondering, God, do you see me? Do you see us? We're tired. And for these reasons, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. Do you see why this word is so important? Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. See, I felt the Lord tell me, you need to bring a word to those people this morning. You need to speak to that audience of people that are tired, that are weary. 
and are wondering, does it even matter? And the word for you today is that the spirit of God is a gift and it is in you. The spirit of God is a gift and it is in you. I'm reminded of Luke 11:13, 13, where Jesus said, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Spirit of God is a gift, and it is in you. And I imagine Paul saying, Listen, Timothy, I know you're feeling discouraged. I know you wish that I was there with you. Maybe things would be different. They're undermining your leadership. You feel intimidated. You're ashamed that I'm stuck in a prison. You feel like you don't belong. But listen, the Spirit of God is a gift and it is in you. Man did not give it. Therefore, man cannot take it away. Man did not give the gift. Man cannot take it away. And this world tries to steal our humanity and dignity. And don't be fooled, that threat exists in the church too. Some of my most painful experiences with this reality, with this, this experience of, of, of humanity and dignity being taken from you, has, has been at church among the family of God. But they cannot steal the gift of the Spirit of God. You see, because man did not give it. Therefore, man cannot take it away. And I'm reminded of how Scripture describes the Holy Spirit, this gift that is in us. It says that the Holy Spirit is the advocate. The Holy Spirit is a seal, a pledge, a counselor, a comforter who gives gifts like prophecy, healing, and speaking in other tongues. The Holy Spirit empowers us, teaches us, gives us power so that we can be bold witnesses wherever we go. In Romans it says that it is the Spirit that testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. It is the Spirit that testifies to our spirit. It tells us you are a child of God. It doesn't matter what Walmart thinks. You're a child of God. The Spirit of God is a gift and it is in you. Recently, my bestie, Keisha Polonio, she gifted me this book called Latinas Evangelicas. It's a book, uh, A Theology from the Margins, that's what it's called. And it was written by three phenomenal Latina theologians. You know what's cool? The first chapter of the book is titled Abuelita Theologies. Theologies from our grandmother. Abuelita Theologies. And this is what they write. That the role of the spirit to empower, heal, affirm, call and transform is especially important for those of us whose voices are often suppressed within patriarchal and racist social and ecclesial structures. I'm going to read that again. That the role of the spirit to empower, to heal, to affirm, to call and transform is especially important for those of us whose voices are suppressed 
within patriarchal and racist social and ecclesial structures. You see, that's a theology from the margins. You don't get that from everybody. Not everybody says that. And the Holy Spirit's act of dwelling with us and being in us affirms our personhood, not only as children of God, but instruments of God's reign in whatever way God deems. Not just our personhood, but the fact that we are instruments used by God as he pleases, as he desires. The Spirit of God is a gift, and it is in you. I'm glad that this school year is over with. <laughs> Probably more than my kids. They don't know that. I'm not going to tell them that. But I am incredibly happy that it's over with. It was a really difficult school year. At the beginning of the school year, my oldest son, Leo, um, he dealt with a lot of bullying. And he's, he's, you know, he's a quirky little kid. He's different. He loves monster trucks. He loves dinosaurs. And, he even pretends to be dinosaurs most of the time. Like, you watch him, he's always like, and his, he does it in the grocery store. I mean, the boy does not care on the playground, at lunch. He's just in his own world. And, and he, he has become a very easy target. And middle school is rough. It was his first year in sixth grade. And my son would come home almost every day crying, just sad. I mean, you just see it in his eyes. And, I'm like, Leo, what, what's wrong? And he's just like, the kids, they, they make fun of me. They, they don't even want to touch me. If they touch me, they, they act like I'm diseased. And then if someone else talks to me, they make fun of them. And he would tell me the things that they would say. And I remember that every day, I, I, every opportunity I would get to look into his eyes, I would have to speak truth to him against those lies. Because for whatever reason... Uh, Tyler and Seth, what they thought of Leo was somehow uh, more true than what I thought. And so every day I'm like, Leo, do you know that you are creative? Do you know that you are funny and kind? You're smart. You're thoughtful. And he would look at me, and, and there was a part of him that's like, yeah. And I said, no, 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 listen to me. And I would have to say it again every day, every opportunity. And the thing is that as soon as he would go to school, somehow my words would just slip out and, and, and those lies would come once again. And I, I'd have to tell him, Jesus, or Leo, Jesus made you just the way you are. And he says that it's good. And he's like, yeah, but Tyler and Seth. And I'm like, but what does mommy say? And he was like, well, yeah, but, but Tyler. And I said, but what does mommy say? Well, yeah, I know that you think that, but Tyler, and I'm like, Leo, what does mommy say? What do I say? What am I saying to you right now? I know that the kids say this and that, but what does mommy say? I know you. <laughs> I've known you your whole life. I've seen you. And my voice, how I view you, should carry a stronger weight than what Tyler and Seth think. So, yeah, but... Mommy, and I'm like, baby, what does mommy say? Listen, what does mommy say? I think about us and how often we hear lies about who we are and what we are repeated over and over again. And I just wonder, do you hear the voice of the Spirit of God come like an impassioned Latina mother declaring, what does God say? 
Because I imagine if the Holy Spirit was a Puerto Rican mom, he's like, mira, what does God say? Because Puerto Rican mothers do not play. And they are very much like, you better listen. Do we hear the Holy Spirit combating those lies like that? Do we hear it? What does God say? Do you hear the voice reminding you of the promises of God, of how he sees you, how he sees us, even when people, systems, and structures deny us respect and dignity? Does that voice drown out the noise of the world, declaring what is true? Do we hear it? The Spirit of God is in you. The Spirit of God is in you. The Spirit of God is with us and for us. Not just in you, but he is with you and he is for you. Do we hear that? And do we know that that spirit does not make us timid? It doesn't make us timid. It gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I am very familiar with timidity. That has characterized so much of my leadership for years. I've even gone as far as equating timidity with humility. I've done that. Maybe you have too. And it sounds so innocent, timid. It sounds like such an innocent, harmless word. It's like, oh, you know, she's just timid. She's timid. It's okay. She's timid. And we use it interchangeably with being shy, introverted, quiet, reserved. I mean, what's wrong with that? But this is the thing. Timid is defined as showing a lack of courage or confidence, easily frightened. That's what the definition of timid is. What's the problem with timidity? Well, I'll tell you what's the problem with timidity in this community. We have committed ourselves to engaging every kind of evil in this city, haven't we? In the world. That is what we say. That is what we do. We battle against systems of injustice that have existed for hundreds of years. We want to see people delivered from addictions. We want to see people healed from the deep wounds of sexual, physical, and emotional abuse. We want to see laws and policies changed. And more than that, we want to see people's hearts transformed. How can we be timid? How can we be timid and do that kind of work? How can our, our leadership, our ministries be characterized as timid when we are trying to knock on the door of hell? The Spirit of God gives us power. Not timidity, power. And the truth is, guys, timidity does not come from the Spirit of God. I think that's pretty plain. I think that's pretty clear. It does not come from the Spirit of God. But I ask you this morning, have you identified the things in your life that produce timidity? Do you know what those things are? Because I, I don't think that's just one person. I think all of us, in some way, shape, or form, we struggle with this lack of courage and confidence. Have we identified those things in our lives that produce timidity? Because our sin and our brokenness, that makes us timid. Those microaggressions, 
that we experience on a daily basis, that makes us timid. Failure, insecurity, that makes us timid. Racist, sexist, oppressive systems, they bring shame, they strip us of our voices, and at times violently take away dignity, and they make us timid. But the Spirit of God gives us power, love, self-discipline. And I believe that we need to continually surrender these things to Jesus. And we have to repent of the ways that timidity has characterized our leadership and our lives. What are those things? What's that sin? What's that place of failure in your life that has caused you to be hesitant, reluctant, unsure, unwilling to take a risk? What is it? In the passage last week, we looked at where Paul said, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and now lives in you. And I think to myself, you know, if any group in the days of Paul and Timothy struggled with timidity, it had to be the women. Like, hands down, more than likely, in those times, women had to have dealt with timidity, struggled with it. It was a burden, a yoke upon them. But Eunice and Lois, oh, they were fierce. They were fierce women, fierce enough to be named in this passage. And when I heard the name Eunice and Lois, I thought about my mom and my abuelitas, and my tias, and what they passed on to me. These women who were unwavering in their devotion and love for Jesus and his word. Their unabating prayer life and immeasurable strength and resilience in the face of infidelity, because they all went through that, in the face of prodigal sons and daughters, fatherlessness, and then being told by the church that they were the problem, not their husbands and fathers. These women were filled with the Spirit of God, and they somehow maintained a prayer life, had faith that could move mountains, cities, galaxies. Filled with the Spirit of God even in, the, in the, the midst of hostile environments. I mentioned earlier this book, Latinas Evangelicas. I'm going to do a book plug because this is an incredible book. And you won't, you won't, uh, you won't read it in a seminary <laughs> class. You won't hear about it because it's three Latino women. And I mean, what, 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 what do they have to say? What, what new or different thing do they have to say that hasn't already been said? But in this, in this particular chapter of Abuelita Theologies, concerning the Holy Spirit being God in us, this is what they write. I want to read this to you guys because when I read it, I became undone. Filled, inspired, and moved by the Holy Spirit, evangelicas, which means 
uh, evangelical women, evangelicas, engage life from the perspective of the one who is able to move over chaos, nothingness, and death, speaking life into death-bearing situations and being midwives to hope. The Holy Spirit emboldens us, even though the shadow of death, even through the shadow of death, to fight the good fight on behalf of those gripped by despair. And it reminds all, even those who would confuse patriarchy for orthodoxy, that we do all of this as nothing other than hijas de Dios, women, mothers, daughters, leaders, pastors, bishops, apostles, vessels, and instruments of God's will and glory. These women are fearless. They're fearless because they know that they're filled by the Spirit of God. And they know where their worth com comes from. And the thing is, I'm convicted by this because what it shows me is that I cannot be timid because I stand on the legacy of every woman of color who has chosen to be faithful, to rise up and fight even when it costs her everything. I cannot be timid because my mom left her country, her family, her culture, her people at the age of 27 to come to this country so I could have a better life. I cannot be timid. I believe that women of color are the epitome of what it looks like to operate out of power, love, and self-discipline. I believe that, the epitome. You can clap for that because it's true. You may not believe it, but it's true. You want to know what it means to live out of the power of the Holy Spirit, not from a place of timidity? Sit down and talk with a woman of color. Listen to their stories. Listen. Glean from their experiences and wisdom that comes from a deep faith and passion for Jesus. We need to trust women of color. We need to learn from women of color. We need to be led by women of color. You will be better for it. All of us. All of us. Timothy was. Eunice, Lois. That wasn't just Paul. That was those women. There was already a foundation set there when Paul met Timothy. Finally, Paul exhorts Timothy to fan into flame this gift. It was, Tamisha, you brought that up, right? That God gives the gift, but we have a responsibility to, a responsibility to nurture that gift and keep it ablaze. And I think this idea of fanning into flame is about rekindling. And if something needs to be rekindled, guys, that means that it has been lost. It has been lost. Something has snuffed it out. And I already talked about the things that make us timid, that try to stifle the spirit of God in us. Sin, brokenness, insecurity, failure. All of those things attempt to stifle the spirit of God in us. And the enemy is relentless in the pursuit of stifling the Spirit of God in us. But he cannot take it away from us. He cannot take it from us, but he will stop at nothing to stifle it. He can't take it away from you, but he will try. 
And he will try to diminish the power of the spirit within us and how that power operates in this world. He will try. And so I say to you again, we have to fan into flame the gift of God so that we do not give way to timidity and shame. Some of us, we have been hesitant, even reluctant to take a risk and lead. We feel ill-equipped. We feel like we haven't been given enough opportunities, that we're too young or maybe we're too old, too black or not black enough, too woman or not woman enough. And we're waiting for someone else to acknowledge and affirm our gifts. We wait for someone else to say, yeah, I see that. And we've tried and we failed and we bear the scars of those experiences. And some of you this morning, you have gifts that have been sitting idle, gifts that are immature, that have been suppressed or denied. And the word of God is saying to us to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. And the truth is, guys, when we don't fan into flame the gift of God that he's given us, it not only affects you, it affects all of us. It affects the community. Because this gift that we have been given is for the sake of building up the body of Christ, as well as the sake of the world being reconciled to God. It is for all of us, not just for you and the places where you have influence. It is for the community. I believe that there are many ways that we can do this, the idea of fanning into flame the gift of God. But this morning, I want to prioritize the place of prayer, of being in the presence of God, the place where you and I can make an exchange between us and God, our wounds, our insecurities, our failures, the lies we tell ourselves and the lies we've heard, we can bring that to Jesus and make an exchange for the truth and the promises of God, of who he is and what he's called us to. We can make that exchange in the place of prayer. We need to go before the presence of God so he could say, what do I say about you? What do I say? I don't care what other people say. What do I say? And what does that mean? What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? And for, for those of us in this community, we are activists. Guys, we will deceive ourselves if we think that the work of our hands is what's changing the world. We will deceive ourselves. If we do not get in that place of prayer, of desperation, of recognizing that we need the breath of God to do anything and everything, if we don't do that, we will deceive ourselves and somehow believe that we're the ones doing the changing and the transforming. We have to remember Zechariah 4, where it says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. And where else will you be reminded of that if not in the, the loneliness, the, 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 the vulnerability, the weakness of that place of prayer? You and God, where else will that take place? And so this morning, before we take communion, I want to give a space for prayer. Because I can keep talking, but at the end of the day, what we need is an encounter with God. That's what we need. We don't need more words. We just need to be in front of, of, of the one who created us, who knows us. 
We need a touch from him. Because I want the spirit to heal, affirm, empower, and send us, send us out. But we have to get in the presence of God. We have to be desperate in that place. And so I've invited the governing elders to come up front and be available for you if you need prayer. If your fire has been snuffed out, or maybe it's just, it's a little, just a little flame, and it needs some fuel. It needs to be, uh, to, to burst into flames. I don't know. Or maybe you need to ask for the fire of God and to burn and consume some of these things that you have been carrying that are causing you to be timid, unsure in the things that God has called you to. And there is something about uh, governing elders, the elders laying hands on people. I mean, Paul says that. You have this gift because I laid hands on you. <laughs> and so I want to give space for that. And so maybe the governing elders, you guys could just come up right now. And guys, I don't know what you need this morning. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. But if you need a fresh touch, if you need a fresh outpouring of the Spirit, I say come. If you've been in a spiritual desert, feeling disconnected, numb, come. If you need healing in your body, in your mind, come. If you need a word of affirmation, a reminder that the Spirit of God is in you, I invite you to come. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Come. Come right now. It's okay. It's okay. And so maybe we could just begin by bowing our heads. And if you don't want to come up front, that's okay. But pray. Pray on behalf of everyone else that would come forward. Or pray for each other in your seats. It doesn't matter, but let's ask. We do not have because we don't ask. And so I invite you to ask this morning for a touch from Jesus. A second touch, maybe a third or fourth touch. Come. Come, 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 Jesus. I